Good morning. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here at the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I don't have to check the radar. I can look out the windows of this here studio and I see blue sky in Macon. I assume the rest of you weathered the flooding and storms okay. Uh, my goodness, South Georgia overnight uh, had some pretty bad storms roll through. Uh, late yesterday, you know, my kids went to school yesterday morning and were upset. My, my daughter texting me saying all the, all the schools are closed and yet we're here. Uh, can I come home? And I texted her to no. She said, I didn't must not love her. I said, well, it's not that is that I got great life insurance on you. <laughs> she didn't like that. Um, but then they wound up closing school early um, around one o'clock. I, I went to the gym. Uh, right after the show, had some lunch, went to the gym, About uh, got to the gym, and the guy I work out with, he's like, ah, the people just left here because they're closing one of the public schools and right up the street, Ace, uh, near where I live in, in middle Georgia. And about five minutes later, I got a text on my phone from my kids' school saying they're closing. Come get them. And man, right as my, my wife went to get the kids, right as my wife went, um, the worst of the storm came rolling through, naturally. Uh, everybody got soaked, but it was it was a messy, messy night. Uh, and did I roll down the trash? Yes, I rolled down my trash can. Sorry, it was pouring down rain last night. I wasn't going to take the trash out. I, I can't remember when I did it. In any event... I hope you weathered the storm. Now, we've got news, and there was stuff I wanted to talk about, but suddenly there's breaking news, and I need to get to the breaking news before I can get to the news that I want to talk about, and it's actually good breaking news. Uh, the economy turns out uh, there is more runway for our good economy right now. Uh, the econ the National Economists are saying that uh, there was job growth. The U.S. added 225,000 jobs in January. Now, here here's one of the little caveats. The unemployment rate rose a tenth of a point from 3.5% to 3.6%. Uh, but the U.S. economy added 220,000 jobs in January, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. National notable job gains from January occurred in construction, healthcare, transportation, and warehousing. By the way, transportation and warehousing benefits Georgia. Have you driven on 75? Uh, up and down or 16, all the warehouses and, and whatnot that we've got in Georgia now benefits Georgia. Manufacturing lost 12,000 jobs in January. Motor vehicles and parts lost 11,000. But uh, average hourly uh, earnings rose by $0.07 cents to $28.44 an hour last month. Uh, that's actually, th this is all very good news. In fact, uh, what the Bureau of Labor Statistics is saying is that uh, it looks like the economy, even at the end of the year, was uh, better than what people thought it was. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to find us. Seth Koukis. Uh, uh, where, where? Oh, come on. Where is he? Um, uh, in any event, there's, a, there's an economist I like to follow. And so I want to I want to track him down. But in any event, um, what the economy is, is seems to be showing is that uh, the jobs market is on fire still. Uh, it is uh, very, very, very good. And uh, the economy keeps churning things. It keeps churning out jobs when people expect an economic slowdown. Uh, in fact, this just happened. In the last couple of minutes on CNN, listen to this. And this job machine just keeps churning, you guys. It's so fascinating. 225,000 net new jobs created in the month. 225,000. It's so big that it broke my machine. And this job. <laughs> now, what happened? Her, her, um, 
her machine went out her her um her monitor that she uses broke just as she was coming on with this and it, i mean you y'all th- this is actually a really good thing for the economy let me read you this from the uh capital economics group which is an uh research analyst firm the rebound in employment growth in the tail end of last year looks stronger now suggesting the economy had more momentum than we believe now what 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 is this about If you will recall at the end of last year, there was an unexpected surge in job creation. And a lot of people were thinking, is this an anomaly? Was it an unexpected bounce? Well, in January, yes, unemployment ticked up very slightly, a tenth of a point. But let me read you the numbers. 12,000 jobs lost in manufacturing and 11,000 jobs lost in motor vehicle and and parts. Uh, Now, interestingly enough, the USMCA, the the United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement, will solve some of that because, remember, it will um, mobilize more manufacturing in this country for for, uh, motor vehicles and parts. But but look at the numbers here. Healthcare, 36,000 job increase. Construction, 44,000 job increase. Transportation, warehousing, 106,000 job increase. So there was a a tenth of a point wobble in the uh, unemployment rate. It's still remarkably low. It is below 4%, which is incredible. 4% is is fantastic in and of itself. It had been at 3.5%, which most economists would say is full full employment. It is now at 3.6%. Some of that as well, uh, looking at the underlying data here, if I'm hemming and hawing a little bit, it's because I'm, I'm talking to you while I'm also reading at the same time. I can multitask, not well, but I can do it. Uh, and part of this number is uh, the, what is it, the U6 or whatever number, more people going back into the workforce still. And remember, when people sit out of the workforce, they are not listed as employed or unemployed. They're just not in the workforce. When people come into the workforce, they're unemployed until they actually get a job. Well, people are still coming back into the workforce, and so they're considered unemployed, which has some level there. Manufacturing remains one of the tough spots in the economy, 12,000 jobs lost. Um, but part of that is uh, Boeing shut down over the, over the 737 MAX, and part of it is the trade war. Now I, I gotta I, I gotta say something, and I agree with Jim Bethacoukas, uh, who is a a policy analyst uh, with the American Enterprise Institute. He also won Jeopardy. Can you imagine? Can you imagine all the people? Can you imagine Donald Trump for the next nine months? Does nothing but tweet out economic data. He doesn't attack Nancy Pelosi. He doesn't attack the left. He just tweets out good economic numbers. Okay, maybe if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, that he will he goes after Bernie Sanders. And it looks like Bernie Sanders may very well be the nominee. But, you know, it, you, you got to... These are impressive job numbers. And I didn't intend to start here this morning. The news just came out. But what exactly are the what are people in the left gonna say? Uh, the best they can do is that the president inherited a healthy economy. Here's the problem with that, though. All of the polling out there shows most Americans don't actually believe that. 
Most Americans, the Democrats have this this belief. It is a philosophical belief on their part because they can't give Donald Trump credit for anything that the economy was all hunky-dory with Barack Obama. You know, in politics, perception's reality. If, if people are convinced that things are well, things are going well, well, then things are going well, whether they are or they're not. If people think that things are going badly, well, guess what? Um, people think things are going badly, even if they're not. And it is objectively true that the economy did turn around when Barack Obama was president. It is objectively true uh, that uh, the turnaround began with Barack Obama. But it is also objectively true that a lot of people did not feel like there was an economic turnaround with Barack Obama. It is objectively true that polling, uh, Gallup has the, the historic data points here. It is objectively true that most people did not feel the economic benefit. A lot of rich people felt the economic benefit, and a lot of people didn't go back to work. But a lot of people were having to work two jobs uh, instead of one. And in fact, right now, today, in this country, there are still a lot of people working two part-time jobs to make a full-time living. But there are fewer people today doing that than there were during Obama's administration. And those sorts of things do matter. The economy matters. The economy matters more than anything else. I mean, think about all the stuff Democrats can care about. You know, there is actually, there was a, a an op-ed the other day. I forget which publication. Maybe I still have it. I think I deleted it. I was going to talk about it, and then I decided I wasn't going to talk about it because it would just take me down all sorts of rabbit holes we probably didn't need to go down. But uh, by God, let me just mention it. I think it was in Illinois. In Illinois, uh, a, a doctor somewhere at, at some think tank institute have decided that the government should help prepubescent teens suffering gender dysphoria uh, go through surgery to conform to the gender they believe they actually are. So if you're a boy and you think you're a girl and you're not yet 12, 13, or 14 years old, your, your hormones haven't kicked in yet, uh, then doctors should go on and alleviate your suffering by giving you testosterone-suppressing drugs, estrogen-boosting drugs, uh, and, and reshape your body through surgical procedures, and that any parent who denies this is abusive. This, this is actually from a, from a think tank, a, a left-wing think tank, uh, that parents opposing children uh, going through transitioning uh, is abusive, even if the kid hasn't reached puberty yet. Now, you and I know, because every single person on planet Earth uh, has gone through this, that you hit puberty and your hormones are all arranged. My Lord. Have you guys seen the movie in and out uh, I am living that right now with a teenager. I love my, I love both of my kids, but wow, you hit the teenage years and we are just hitting the teenage years in the Erickson household. And uh, we got good days and we got bad days and we got really bad days and we have pretty good days. Uh, mostly, uh, you know, my kids are fairly even keeled and, and level headed. They are wonderful human beings. Uh, I, I love my children and man, I uh, take my kids out take me, take, take my sisters, take y'all. I mean, you people know what I'm talking about. I love my kids. Um, they're starting to run circles around me, though. My, my kids can outthink me, and that becomes a problem when we're in arguments about things. Uh, only for so much longer can I say because I said so as the reason uh, to justify something. They're beginning to question me. And, you know, my kids go to the school, and I'm thinking I may have to, like, like homeschool them or something because my kids are going to a school, and they're learning logic 
and fallacies and things like that. And I'll tell them something and they'll start to tell me that it's a fallacy. And all I want to do is, is, is call defects to come save them from the wrath that I'm about to rain down on them. And nonetheless, uh, you get my point, uh, hormones, hormones. And, and so you've now got doctors out there saying that we gotta, we gotta have the state help people, uh, help kids go through gender reassignment, sex change surgery, where they, they carve out things and, and chop things off and rearrange by it, it, this is absurd. Say so you should think it's absurd. There's the mental health issue. The people who don't think this is absurd. Now, what is this? What the heck you're saying? Erickson, come on here. Focus, focus, focus. I am focused. This is the point. We can worry about garbage like this because the economy is doing so well. The left can get worked up over whether you have a constitutional right to chop parts of your body off as a nine-year-old because the economy is doing so well. And I got to tell you that I, I, I firmly believe when you look at the cultural data points in this country, we are more liberal in this country than I am, more than I wish we were. But when you actually look at the underlying cultural philosophical opinions of the American public, they're actually more conservative than the left thinks they are. So if the economy is doing really well and Bernie Sanders is going out saying, OK, we now have too many choices in deodorant. We need to shut some of them down. Then you've got Elizabeth Warren out there saying we need to allow transgender children to pick the secretary of education and in middle America is like, what the heck? Transgender kid, what? Huh? That only helps President Trump. It only helps President Trump. The economy is doing so well, it has allowed much of American society to worry about trivial things because they got food in their belly, food on the table, and they got a roof over their head. We are in a society right now that whips itself into a frenzy over inconsequential things because so many of the consequential things are going so well for us right now. The moment that changes, we'll go back to focusing on the big stuff. But there's no major war. There's no mass economic catastrophe. The coronavirus is largely contained overseas. So we're allowed to focus. Well, <laughs> the left is allowed to focus on crazy things. And that all works to the president's benefit. If Bernie Sanders is going out there telling people we need to upend the American economy that is serving the public so well, how does that really help Bernie Sanders? That helps Donald Trump. Uh, the economy is his single biggest selling point right now. And if he would keep himself out of the headlines and let people focus on just how good things are right now and how nuts the left is, the president would win in a landslide in November. The phone number here at the program, if you'd like to call in, if you want to be a part of this here program, it is 877-97-ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, C-K, both of them. Uh, that translates to 877-973-7425 if you want to call in. Okay, now what I wanted to talk about, I uh, did not intend to talk about the economy. So the president has killed the top al-Qaeda leader in the Middle East. Well, I shouldn't say the president's killed. The president authorized the killing of. If it was Barack Obama, the left would be saying that, you know, Barack Obama himself pulled the trigger. But since it's Donald Trump, they'd be saying, you can't say that. You can't say that. He didn't actually do it. They're right. He didn't actually do it. But it had to come from the president. And the president took care of it. Uh, Al-Qaeda's leader gone in the Middle East. Y'all, listen, we're going to get to a point 
where Republicans are convinced they're going to lose. We always do every election cycle. You go through really good weeks and you go through really bad weeks. But can we just enjoy the good week together here for a moment? The Democrats had a disaster in Iowa on Monday. The president had a really good State of the Union speech on Tuesday, topped off with Nancy Pelosi's theatrics that only helped with the Republicans. On Wednesday, the president of the United States was acquitted. On Thursday, he had a pep rally that, that caused a, a absolute media meltdown and killed al-Qaeda's leader. And on Friday, turns out the economy is still doing really well despite the, the trade war and the coronavirus. That's not bad. You got to give it to him. And I know there are a lot of people who don't. In fact, I pointed this out last night. And there are a lot of people who don't want to give the president any credit for any of this stuff. But I think you kind of have to. In the same way you had to with Barack Obama. Now, now the truth of the matter is, if we want to be intellectually honest about it, the president doesn't deserve a ton of credit on the economy. I know everybody thinks this. But actually, there isn't a ton that the president can do on the economy. There are things the president can do at the macroeconomic level, fundamentally, that change the size, scope, and direction of the economy over the long term. Absolutely can. So Bernie Sanders can come in, and Bernie Sanders can do executive orders, regulation, and maybe pass some laws that actually will fundamentally long-term disrupt and undermine the American economy. But in the short term and in the near term, it's it's really hard for presidents to screw up the economy. The economy has cycles. It ebbs and flows. It goes up. It goes down. Uh, the, we are in the longest period of economic expansion uh, that this country has ever seen. And that's a good thing. Uh, but, you know, so Dynamic Money sponsors this program. My buddy Chris Burns is my financial advisor, and he gives me this lecture all the time. When I call him, it's like, hey, you should buy this stock, Chris. I like this stock. And he says, no, no. You like the stock because of the news you heard this morning. Everyone else has already bought that stock and you want to get in on the craze. Uh, you should be investing for the long term. He tells me that all the time. I, I feel like I'm talking to my dad when I talk to Chris. Um, invest for the long term, he says. Uh, don't 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 play on the stock market. You're, you're investing for the long term. Well, yeah, you are. You, he's right. He's right. Uh, you can go to Dynamic Money and get these lectures from Chris yourself if you actually want to save and make money. Uh, turns out he's been saving me more money than I knew. And now I get to go on vacation. Uh, I should say this hour is sponsored by dynamic money. Go to dynamicmoney.com. In any event, <laughs> um, he's oh hush Siri. He's right though. Uh, the, the ebbs and the flows of the economy come and, and we will probably be at, at a, at a economic slowdown at some point. And it'll probably come in the second term of the Trump administration. Here's a, he, okay. This, this is going to come back to haunt me. And I know it's going to come back to haunt me to say this. But uh, on record now saying that the president in the short term really doesn't have a lot to do with the economy, whether it's Barack Obama or Donald Trump, there would be a bit of rich irony in the worst case scenario for Republicans that Bernie Sanders does get elected and the economy just tanks. Because as much as the Democrats would want to blame Donald Trump for it and say it was all his fault, we know what would happen. The public would blame Bernie Sanders. And that would wipe out the political left in this country. It would. They would blame Bernie Sanders and his failed policies. And by the way, his policies would, in fact, uh, exacerbate any sort of economic meltdown. Now, if Donald Trump 
gets reelected president and the economy slows down, then he's going to get the blame for it. The Republicans get the blame for it. They'll have a very, very bad off-year election, um, but it wouldn't be nearly as disastrous as Bernie Sanders as president. Now, we got to get into the president's victory lap when we come back. Okay, now we can begin the show with where I wanted to begin the show. <laughs> uh, seriously, I, 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 you know, I get up in the morning. I actually overslept this morning. It, it's kind of bad. I, I, I got up and, and hit the wrong button. And next thing I know, it, it is, I hear the, hear everybody else in the family up. I was like, uh oh, usually I'm up before them. What has happened? Why are they up so early? And realized I overslept. Um, so I, I was left scrambling. And then the economic news comes in and it, it just all, everything goes upside down. So nonetheless, I wanted to spend uh, time on the president's victory lap yesterday. It has sent the American media into an absolute meltdown over what the president said. Um, and I, I just think, that there are a couple of things we need to consider here. First of all, let us let us begin again. Let us review, shall we? Uh, a couple of points that I have already made. Uh, the Democratic meltdown in Iowa continues. You know, in a in a in normal times, it would be humbling for a political party to have spent four years complaining about the Russians stealing the election and the need for election and voter integrity only to then screw up your kickoff election for your presidential nominating season. Uh, the uh, CNN, Jake Tapper, and the Associated Press, they're all noting that it's now impossible to actually get an accurate count of who actually won Iowa because there were so many screw-ups and, and uh, cross-referencing screw-ups, and no one can actually figure out what happened. Well, the president didn't have to worry about all that. The president decided uh, to have a, a big celebration yesterday, having killed al-Qaeda's leader, having had a great State of the Union, having been acquitted by the, by the Senate, having the Democratic meltdown in Iowa continue. Here's the president. We've all been through a lot together, and uh, we probably deserve that hand for all of us because uh, it's been a very unfair situation. Uh, I invited... Some of our very good friends, and we have limited room, but everybody wanted to come. We kept it down to a minimum, and believe it or not, this is a minimum. Uh, but a tremendous thing was done over the last number of months. But really, if you go back to it over the last number of years, we had the witch hunt. It started from the day we came down the elevator, myself and our future first lady who's with us right now. Thank you, Melania. I've done things wrong in my life, I will admit. Not purposely, but I've done things wrong. But this is what the end result is. You can take that home, honey. Maybe we'll frame it. It's the only good headline I've ever had in the Washington Post. He's holding up the Trump But every paper is the same. Does anybody have those papers? Does anybody have them? Because they're really uh, like that, so I appreciate that. Yeah, he's holding up the, the Washington Post. The headline was Trump acquitted uh, and, and laughing about that. The best head, the only nice headline the Washington Post has ever given him. I've always said they're lousy politicians, but they do two things. They're vicious and mean, vicious. These people are vicious. Adam Schiff is a vicious, horrible person. Nancy Pelosi is a horrible person. And she wanted to impeach a long time ago when she said, I pray for the president. I pray for the president. She doesn't pray. She may pray, but she prays for the opposite. <laughs> but I doubt she prays at all. And these are vicious people. But they do two things. They stick together. Historically, I'm not talking now. 
They stick together like glue. They do. One, one last one for the President's Victory Rally. I mean, Nadler, I know him much of my life. He's fought me in New York for 25 years. I always beat him. And I had to beat him another time. And I'll probably have to beat him again. Because if they find that I happen to walk across the street and maybe go against the light or something, let's impeach him. So we'll probably have to do it again because these people have gone stone cold crazy. But I've beaten them all my life and I'll beat them again if I have to. (laughs) Okay, here's the thing. The American media, reporters, pundits, anchors, all of them together combined are in meltdown over the president of the United States having a campaign rally at the White House yesterday declaring victory. They are in absolute apoplectic meltdown about it. They are livid at the president for saying what he said. He, the president also, there's one clip I can't play, and it's because the president said BS in the East Room of the White House, and he didn't say BS, he said the actual word. And, I, you know, I, I played this for you yesterday, and I need to play it for you again. Uh, the Democrats and the media collectively in absolute apoplectic meltdown over the acquittal. The president's acquittal will be meaningless. Well, he will not be acquitted. You cannot be acquitted if you don't have a trial. This can't be a real acquittal. This trial is no vindication. In fact, it's a rush to a cover-up. There will be a permanent asterisk next to the acquittal of President Trump. People around the world are watching us going, this is what you want for the rest of the world? I mean, what a sad, sad moment. I think it's a sad day for the so-called Republican Party. You know, they're going to need to find their souls. Good luck to that. And Russia, if you're listening, 2020 is open for investigations. The elections may not have a fair result. The very charge goes to the fairness of our elections. This is going to be an enormous stain on the United States Senate. It's, it's actually quite scary. I think we're at a very scary moment. The Dershowitz argument, frankly, would unleash a monster. We have a constitutional monarchy where Donald Trump is the supreme element of this state, like North Korea. He's a functionally a monarch. He believes he's king. Mm-hmm. We are not supposed to have a king. That was the main thing other than, you know, not wanting to have equal rights for women and black people and Native Americans. They have handed Donald Trump the, the monarchy. My fear is what broke is our democracy. I think the wounds are going to be very deep. That will be it for America as we've known it. It's official. Nothing means anything. Right is wrong. Up is down. Missouri is Kansas. He can just run through laws like he's got that Super Mario invisibility star. That's what he can do. Today's acquittal does not equal an exoneration for the president who will remain impeached forever. You know what? For all the Democrats saying this wasn't a real acquittal, uh, over to you, Chief Justice of the United States of America, John Roberts. In this article of impeachment, 48 senators have pronounced Donald John Trump, President of the United States, guilty as charged. 52 senators have pronounced him not guilty as charged. Two-thirds of the senators present not having pronounced him guilty. The Senate adjudges that the respondent, Donald John Trump, President of the United States, is not guilty as charged in the first article of impeachment. And then said the same thing for the second article of impeachment, and the vote margin was even wider, thanks to Mitt Romney siding with the Republicans on that one. Uh, Here's the thing. When Barack Obama 
held a campaign rally and told Hispanic voters that Republicans were their enemy. The media was not upset. When Barack Obama told his supporters uh, they need to take guns to knife fights, the media was not upset. When Barack Obama told people they need to get in their neighbors' faces and challenge them, the media was not upset. When Barack Obama produced a website where you could go on and see whether or not your neighbor had voted and whether they were Democrat or Republican, the media was not upset. When Barack Obama set up an email address that you could forward uh, your neighbor's emails to if you thought they were lying about Obamacare, the media was not upset. All those things happened. I'm not making up any of those things. Those things all actually happened. The media was not upset. Donald Trump saying BS in the East Room of the White House, you would have thought that we had a a nuclear reactor meltdown, a three-mile island situation in the United States. Uh, The media is apoplectic and panicked by it. Those voices you heard in that montage I played, they weren't just Democrats. They were, they were reporters and news anchors as well. John Berman, who I very much like, who is a very nice guy, CNN anchor, is the one who said, uh, Russia, if, you, if you're listening, uh, investigations are open, open season for investigations or whatever he said. The media has become part of the Democratic Party and can't admit it. There's a there's a, a story by McKay Coppins in The Atlantic. And uh, McKay Coppins is the, um, he, he's a writer. He, he's profiled Mitt Romney in the past. He's written a very funny profile of Donald Trump. He's a very good writer. And, but essentially, the, the whole story is about the upcoming Donald Trump-backed disinformation campaign to win the election in November. And how so many facts are going to be distorted and how many people are going to lie and on and on it goes. And I got to tell you, um, it's it's he's right. Let let me read you this. Don't get mad at me for saying he's right. Just just listen to me. Let, Let me read you part of the conclusion. The political theorist Hannah Arndt once wrote that the most successful totalitarian leaders of the 20th century instilled in their followers a mixture of gullibility and cynicism. When they were lied to, they chose to believe it. When a lie was debunked, they claimed they'd known all along and would then admire the leaders for their superior tactical cleverness. Over time, Arndt wrote, the onslaught of propaganda conditioned people to believe everything and nothing, think that everything was possible and that nothing was true. Leaving the Trump rally, I thought about Arndt, I I forget how you pronounce her last name in any event, and, and the swaths of the country that are already gripped by the ethos she described. Should it prevail in 2020, the election's legacy will be clear, not a choice between parties or candidates or policy platforms, but a referendum on reality itself. But here's the thing. What's going on with this, a buddy of mine replied to it, and, and, and let me read you part of his email. It's not out of turn for me to read part of his email. He says, this is absolution journalism. It really is them, not you, Don't waste a second examining your behavior. Don't waste a second examining your attitudes. Don't waste a second examining your perceptions. It's the other side that's bad. The other side that's wrong. The other side uh, that tells all the lies. And and for the Atlantic, for the Democrats, for them, it is uh, genuinely, factually, all about 
the Republicans are liars. Donald Trump is a liar. Everybody's a liar. They're all liars. They're all bad. They're all wrong. Shame on them. We tell the truth. We're honest. We're objective. Really what it is, is both sides do this. But what McKay Coppins and The Atlantic are doing, what The New York Times does, what CNN now does, what MSNBC has always done, is try to make you believe only the other side does it. Only the other side is bad. Only the other side is dirty. Only the other side exaggerates. Only the other side builds up hype. Only the other side uh, says things that aren't true. When they do it too, they don't have clean hands. They make stuff up. All of the stuff that they're claiming, all of the stuff that they're doing is stuff that the Democrats do, all the stuff they say the Republicans do. The New York Times had a major story yesterday that showed essentially a a very large uh, part of what the Democratic government, uh, what the Obama Democrats were doing in, from 2009 to 2017, when Barack Obama was president, uh, there were a great many things the Obama administration did that obfuscated truth when it came to the war on terror and in, in terrorist protocols and things like that. And the Republicans in the Senate released this report and the New York Times made it all about Republicans and a Republican screw up. When you actually read into the story, despite what the New York Times tweet was, The New York Times story is actually about the Obama administration screwing up a bunch of stuff, but whoever runs the New York Times social media account made it about the Republicans. You see this with The Hill. The Hill is a publication on on Capitol Hill. I, just full disclosure, I refuse on this program to ever cite The Hill as a source. And the reason is because The Hill is notorious for distorting, lying, or obfuscating in its social media to try to get clicks into stories and willfully misrepresenting the truth. And and I, I won't have a part of it. It is factual that this president says a lot of stuff that isn't true. It is factual that is true. The president says a lot of stuff that is not true. But it is factual that every Democratic candidate does the same. It is factual that every Democratic candidate makes stuff up. It is factual that the media is more likely to run an untrue story from the Democrats than from the Republicans. All of these things are factual. All of these things are true. But the media chooses to focus on the first, that the president says untrue things, at the expense of the latter and gives absolution to themselves and everyone on the left saying, oh, see, it's not us, it's them. And they may sleep well at night doing that, But the truth is that in doing it as well, they themselves cause the American public to distrust everything. They they themselves cause the American public to not believe. And for McKay Coppins in the Atlantic to spend that much time saying this is how Donald Trump intends to win by lying to people, politicians have lied since there were the first politicians. That's just reality. Every politician has lied. To claim that Donald Trump is somehow worse than those who came before him is an outright factual distortion of truth. To claim that he's a monarch, to claim that he's a dictator is an outright distortion of the truth. 
And yet it allows them not to understand what's true and what's right, but it allows them to feel morally superior to the president's supporters. And that hubris can trip them up in November just as it did with this Iowa election. The phone lines are open here. You can call in if you like, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. And, you know, so I got a, I got a complaint the other day from a listener. And I don't mean this disparagingly. I don't, you're going to be offended by it. And I honestly don't care because I don't mean to offend you. It's just the truth. I got it, got a, got an email the other day from a listener. This happens every once in a while where they say, you say I can call and I called in and, and your call screener wouldn't let me on the air. Well, yes, if you, your job as a caller is to make me look good. No, seriously, though. Seriously. I mean, your job as the caller, this is my show. If you want your own show, get your own microphone and figure out how to make it happen. Uh, your job is not to call in and and, and take over the show to, to make your point. Uh, this is my show. You want to ask me a question? Call in and ask me a question. You, you actually have a profound point that you think would add to the conversation? Do it. We're okay with that. If you disagree with me, I'm happy to allow you to call in and disagree with me. Yesterday, I do an evening show as well. Yesterday, I had a bunch of people call in who wanted nothing more than to disagree with me. And I let them all call in and disagree with me. Perfectly fine. I can handle the criticism. But you got to at least be able to articulate a good point, make a good point, and and not just call in to be an amen corner. The, the one thing, occasionally, occasionally my call screener will let people call in to tell me how awesome I am because he thinks I need it. But by and large, you know, come on. I got a limited amount of time here. Uh, I would love to take your phone calls, uh, but don't be an idiot or drunk or 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 just be an amen chorus when you call in. Make a good point or ask a question. And by the way, when five people make the same point, don't be surprised uh, when you can't get on because the prior four people said exactly what you said. Now, having said all that, I, I want to circle back to a, to a bit of audio that I have played in the past. And, and I do this intentionally. I do this uh, because we need to be reminded of it. What I just said, my entire monologue uh, in the last segment, that you read this stuff out there that only Donald Trump lies, only Donald Trump peddles mythologies, only Donald Trump does this sort of stuff. Let's remember this. Breaking news. A bombshell. Today is a turning point. Today was historically bad for President Trump. Today was a turning point. A turning point. We're at a turning point here. The beginning of the end for the Trump presidency. We have another bombshell. Mike Pence might have to assume the office of the presidency. Rumblings of the word impeachment. Breaking news. Another bombshell out of the White House. I believe this is the beginning of the end. I do too. It's really the beginning of the end. He may be feeling the walls closing in on him. All the walls closing in on him. The walls closing in in on him. Breaking news, a new bombshell. One astrologer says this means the beginning of the end for President Donald Trump. Trump will resign. Trump is going to resign. Is this the tipping point? I know we've said it over and over. You think this is a tipping point? And over and over. This is a tipping point. And over and over. Breaking news, President Trump off the rails. It was the beginning of the end today. The beginning of the end. Breaking news tonight, new bombshell. This is the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The walls are closing in. The walls closing in. The walls closing in. Breaking overnight bombshell. This is a very dramatic day and I think it might be near a tipping point. Do you think this is a tipping point? December 1st, 2017, you can mark it down. This is the day that everything changed. The beginning of the end? Beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. We begin tonight with a bombshell. Donald Trump is in a lot of trouble. Trump is in trouble. The president will resign. Another hour, another bombshell. That goes on for another minute, by the way. We don't have another minute. 
that goes on for a full two minutes, 20 seconds through to last year of all the turning points, tipping points, breaking points, and Donald Trump is ending. Democratic mythology lives on. I want to introduce you guys to a new sponsor, Blue Vine. Growing a business is hard, especially when your cash flow doesn't match the speed of your growth. I've been there. Blue Vine can provide you with access to the fast funding your business needs with funding solutions tailored to you. It's an easy, fast way to help support your business growth with a line of credit up to $250,000. Whether you need money to offset upfront costs, secure inventory, or pay an unexpected expense through Blue Vine, you can help yourself and your business stay secure for any reason. There is no fee to set up your line of credit, and Blue Vine never charges maintenance or prepayment fees. And applying is easy. You just go to getbluevine.com slash Eric. You fill out a few simple details. And when you're done with your application, it's done within minutes and you see an offer. It's not going to affect your credit score. And once approved, funds can be received in as little as 24 hours. Blue Vine has helped more than 20,000 customers and has delivered over $2.5 billion in funds for businesses. For listeners of this podcast, Blue Vine is offering a limited time promotion of a $100 gift card when you take out a loan or open a line of credit with Blue Vine. Go to getbluevine.com slash Eric for more details. All you need to do is go to getbluevine.com slash Eric and apply. It's quick, easy, meaningful way to help your business in as little as 24 hours. And the promotional offer is subject to terms and conditions that can be found at getbluevine.com slash Eric. I'm here. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here in the Eric Erickson show across the state of Georgia. Well, you know, I, I said a little while ago, I could look out my window and see blue skies from the studio. And now, uh, I don't know. Let me pull up the right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm looking there's snow, believe it or not. Uh, if you're North of Atlanta, a lot of you woke up with snow. Those of us who are South of Atlanta hate your guts right now. <laughs> None of it's stuck except up in the mountains. There, there's a little bit, there are flurries. I can actually see them on the radar now up uh, 75 near in the Rome area and, and up towards Jasper there. There have been some flurries, which is just incredible to me. Uh, my kids are desperate for snow. And, and honestly, if we're honest about it, my kids are at the age where, yes, they like the snow. They like to play in the snow. But but the real issue is they just want to skip school. It's true. Okay. I, you know, I, I made an executive decision. I want to play this audio in full and, and let me reset the stage. I actually want to spin, believe it or not. I want to spend time on Georgia news because there is a lot, but I want to remake this point. McKay Coppins is a, is a fantastic writer, reporter, works for the Atlantic, and he has a huge piece out that's getting a lot of buzz among Democrats in particular about how Donald Trump intends to run his campaign in November with a bunch of memes, lies, half-truths, distortions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that it is a fight for the truth in November. That's what the election is about. Now, McKay Coppins is, is just, he's a reporter. But I get the sense from a lot of reporters that they were asleep for the eight years of the Obama administration. And they now do this sort of, and it's a buddy of mine who said it, who, who's a very brilliant guy, uh, who made this point, and, and it's I, it's one of those points where I think, Dad Gummit, I wish I had thought of it. How much in the American media these days, when it comes to Donald Trump, is uh, absolution reporting? They call it. He calls it uh, the reporting of absolution. That the other side is contemptible and does all of these terrible things, and and you are absolved. 
And what the reporter actually does is focuses so much on what Donald Trump does or what Republicans do or what conservative activists do uh, that they totally and completely ignore the fact that their side does it too. I mean, the entire premise is of, of this piece is that Republicans engage in all sorts of uh, mistruths, half-truths, distortions. They believe mythologies. They believe lies. They say things that aren't true. They build things up that aren't true. Uh, they overreact. They overhype. And that's exactly what Democrats do. And if you don't believe that's what Democrats do, please listen to this. I started to play it in the last hour. I play this thing. Right, I, I actually keep this on the desktop of my laptop computer that I use for sound on the show because uh, it, it is so, it, it rings so true. It, it hits so many points. It is so fair. Um, I, I, it's just, it, it's a reminder that as much as the media likes to say, Donald Trump is essentially, has essentially built his house on lies. So have so much of the American media. Breaking news. A bombshell. Today is a turning point. Today was historically bad for President Trump. Today was a turning point. A turning point. We're at a turning point here. The beginning of the end for the Trump presidency. We have another bombshell. Mike Pence might have to assume the office of the presidency. Rumblings of the word impeachment. Breaking news. Another bombshell out of the White House. I believe this is the beginning of the end. I do too. It's really the beginning of the end. He may be feeling the walls closing in on him. All the walls closing in on him. The walls closing in in on him. Breaking news, a new bombshell. One astrologer says this means the beginning of the end for President Donald Trump. Trump will resign. Trump is going to resign. Is this the tipping point? I know we've said it over and over. You think this is a tipping point? And over and over. This is a tipping point. And over and over. Breaking news, President Trump off the rails. It was the beginning of the end today. The beginning of the end. Breaking news tonight, new bombshell. This is the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The walls are closing in. The walls closing in. The walls closing in. Breaking overnight bombshells. This is a very dramatic day and I think it might be near a tipping point. Do you think this is a tipping point? December 1st, 2017, you can mark it down. This is the day that everything changed. The beginning of the end? The beginning of the end. 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 We begin tonight with a bombshell. Donald Trump is in a lot of trouble. Trump is in trouble. The president will resign. Another hour, another bombshell. This is a tipping point. Trump's going down. This president could be impeached. Resignation. Resignation. I don't think this president is going to serve out his term. Mr. Trump will not serve out his term. He will not serve out his term. No way. Know how. Breaking news. An absolute bomb. Donald Trump is not. He's done. And it's over. It's over. The wall's closing in. Oh, the wall's closing in. This is going to be the Achilles Hill. Breaking news tonight. I expect Trump to depart. This week will be the watershed week. Trump is in big trouble. Trump's in a lot of trouble. It's a sign of a terrified old man who feels the walls closing in. The walls are increasingly closing in on him. Tonight, the walls are closing in. Today changed everything. This is the beginning of the end. Today, the biggest tipping point for the Trump administration. What historic day, the bombshells. He's underwater. He feels the walls closing in. Turning point. We may be at a tipping point. It's the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. Another bombshell. 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 This is a bombshell. It is. It is a bombshell. (laughs) Y'all, seriously. Let's not deny it. If you're on the right, be honest. Donald Trump says a lot of things that aren't true. And a lot of you love the fact that it gets under the left skin. And that's okay. I, I, I wish we lived with politicians who said nothing but gospel truth. But we don't. 
we're all sinners. We all fall short. It's not, not a justification. It's just the reality. We're all sinners. Politicians say, you know, this is why I'm a conservative, by the way. I'm a conservative because I'm a Christian. And I believe that we are all sinners. And so we should want as few sinners in charge of us as possible. So I'm a conservative. I want small government. I don't like the fact that Republicans are helping Democrats grow government. Uh, it, it's bad. If, if you're a sinner, uh, you should want as few other sinners in charge of you as possible. But my goodness gracious, people, I, I, I gotta, I, I've got to tell you that the Democratic purity here, that they're above this, that they don't do this, uh, how many of them are still out there saying that uh, Donald Trump is still benefiting from Barack Obama's economy as opposed to the tax cuts actually stimulated job growth in this country, which is a, a, a fact. But they can't say that. There's a level of dishonesty out there, and, and so much of the media as well, not just the Democrats, the media as well, has, well, yeah, I guess you could say I repeat myself, but but they're, they're allowing themselves to engage in, in a level of, of absolution that they're pure and people on the other side are not. And, you know, people people on the right do this as well. People on the right tend to think that people on the left are, are just as bad as people on the left think people on the right are. And it's both sides. And that's one of my frustrations, honestly. I, I, I try, listen, I'm a conservative. I'm a Christian. I'm an evangelical. I'm a conservative. All the things you're not supposed to be. I'm white. I'm male. I'm heterosexual. All the things you're not supposed to be in America these days. I am. And, but I at least try to try to understand the other side, uh, try to explain to you the other side. And, and I spent a lot of time on this program and in my writing and in my other program, just telling you what you believe isn't true. Like, for example, the number of you right now listening to my voice who believe Nancy Pelosi broke the law by tearing up that State of the Union address the other night is, is astonishing to me. And it's simply not true. All you have to do is read the federal statute in question about destruction of documents. It is not true. While Nancy Pelosi is a public officer of the United States, the public officer uh, provision in the law about destroying federal documents does not apply to members of Congress. It's, it's, it's absurd that so many people on the right want to believe that she broke the law. Or, or the number of people, I, I, here's the latest conspiracy theory, is that uh, Nancy Pelosi waited for the president to turn his back to her before she reached out her hand to shake his hand. And that's why he didn't shake. It wasn't his fault. It was her fault. She set him up. That's not true. And yet there are people on the right who want to believe this stuff. And, and I spend half my time on this program telling you what so many of you believe isn't true. But I spend the other half of my time telling you what, what you do believe is true and what the other side is saying isn't true. It's just it's staggering how bad the media gets it these days. And I just listen. Now, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record. I want to move on to other stuff. But but I, I feel very, very, very strongly about this. That it is an obligation that all of us should have, particularly those of us who actually believe in in uh, God Himself. That if God is truth, we should find truth. We should be committed to truth. And so many people no longer are in politics, and, and yet what they do is they decide that their side actually is telling the truth, and it's the other side who are all the liars. No, actually, both sides lie. Let's just accept it and move on. And I do want to move on because I've never been able to completely get to this point on the president's victory lap. You know, so he wants to get rid of Alexander Vindman. Alexander Vindman is is the guy who testified against him from the National Security Council staff. He and his brother work in the White House. He clearly collaborated with the whistleblower. The president wants him gone. The media is outraged today, y'all. I got to tell you, I have a real hard time getting worked up about the president of the United States wanting people loyal to him in the White House. 
if if Barack, just ask yourself, if Barack Obama wanted to purge from the White House career staffers who had been ardent George W. Bush loyalists, the media would be attacking the career staffers for putting partisanship above of serving the president, above serving the country. They would, and yet they're outraged that the president is doing this. I'm not outraged about it. Listen, if Bill Clinton wanted to purge the White House of anyone who testified from him, you and I both know the media would have his back on this, that the president is doing it and the media is outraged by it. It's just another example of the media being in the tank for the Democrats. And then there's the, the, the disproportionate outrage. You know, it, how much of the media was asleep for eight years and says that the, the media is scandal-free or, or the, the, the Trump administration is scandal-free? I'm sorry, the Obama administration scandal free. What about Fast and Furious? They, they totally ignored that. What about the Internal Revenue Service targeting conservative groups? And we know it was intentional and it was designed. But Mr. Erickson, the Barack Obama didn't tell him to do it. I'm sorry you surround yourself with a bunch of ideological soulmates and you tell them that the Republicans are the enemy. They don't have to get a specific order from you to target Tea Party groups. They know to target the Tea Party groups. And yet the media says there was no scandal there. There was nothing pure as the driven snow. This is why so many people don't believe the media. The president has had a remarkably good week. The Democratic meltdown in Iowa continues. I mean, they can't even figure out who actually won in Iowa now. Bernie Sanders is livid. And there's a problem. Over to you, Bernie Sanders. Senator, a key part of your argument for the general election, your electability, is that you're going to boost turnout by bringing all these people into the process that haven't been voting Iowa turnout doesn't look like it was higher yeah. than l last time. Does that concern you? It does. And I, I would have liked to have seen a higher turnout. And I think I can probably speak for every other candidate. Higher turnout. Now, why Why is it? This is an underlying fundamental problem for Democrats. Do you know their, their turnout matched 2016? They've got more candidates now, and yet people weren't as excited. But you know what the real problem may actually be? <sighs> Y'all, this isn't getting a lot of traction. You, we should be paying attention to this trend in Iowa. The reason turnout may be down in Iowa is not lack of enthusiasm, but lack of Democrats. Now, what do I mean by that? There's data. There is actual data that the 50 and older crowd, and what are the 50 and older crowd? The people most likely to vote in Iowa and everywhere else. If you're over, if you're 50 and over, you're more likely to vote than people less than 50. And it turns out that the reason that voter turnout may have been down in Iowa is not lack of enthusiasm, but lack of Democratic voters. Those people all became Trump voters. They're not Republican voters. They're Trump voters, which suggests, and by the way, the polling in Iowa somewhat co collaborates this, it suggests that Donald Trump is going to win Iowa. That's been a swing state. Iowa has been a swing state for two decades, and he may have taken it off the board. And that's why the turnout is down. And the Democrats are starting to get concerned about that as they pivot to New Hampshire. This has been a very good week for the president. The economic numbers were great today. Yesterday, an al-Qaeda leader is killed at American hands. The day before, the president is acquitted. The day before that, Nancy Pelosi tears up a great speech. The day before that, the Democratic meltdown in Iowa. 
And what's the media doing today? Say, well, he's a liar. He was not nice in the East Room of the White House. He said a dirty word in the White House. Y'all, I've been in the White House, and I said a dirty word in the White House. I apologize, but I did. It just wasn't on TV, and I'm not the president. But still, I mean, good Lord. I wonder if these people in the media ever heard what Bill Clinton did in the Oval Office. All right. I really do want to move. I got to say, though, and, and this, this, my buddy Nathan actually gives me this idea. Um, remember, what, last week or so? Yo, it was last week. Uh, a Democratic activists sent cakes to every senator's office uh, saying and had written on it or something to do what you know is right or something like that, uh, trying to pressure them to vote uh, to convict the president of impeachment. I think that the president's team missed a brilliant opportunity to send cakes to every Democratic office in Congress today uh, with, with little cakes that have written on them, let them eat acquittal. Can you? I mean, that would be the ultimate troll by the by the Trump campaign is to is to do let them eat acquittal instead of let them eat cake. Let them eat acquittal. <laughs> that would be an absolutely brilliant troll by uh, the the president's team, and they really should. This is something comfortably smug should do. Uh, hang on a second, I gotta tweet that out. This is something comfortably smug should organize um seriously uh, if you don't know who comfortably smug is on twitter it's like the greatest twitter account ever that <laughs> absolute i mean they would be an absolute meltdown to do this yes okay listen i am the guy just so you understand when i say this i am the guy I actually got written about in, in the wall street journal uh, back in what 2009 Olympia Snow when she was in the Senate the, the other squishy senator from Maine agreed that she would allow the Obamacare legislation to go from committee to floor and she knew it would pass and she would she would support getting out of committee and so I wrote a piece on the wall I wrote a piece on I was in the editor of Red State and wrote a piece and said uh, what melts snow and encourage people to send bags of rock salt to Olympia Snow and the Wall Street Journal wound up doing a story on this, that there was a, a little shop in Ohio that was selling out of rock salt and couldn't figure out why massive numbers of people were buying their rock salt. Uh, they, they wound up uh, selling out all their rock salt, shipping it to Maine. And Wall Street Journal did this and, and realized it was me at Red State telling people to go go buy rock salt. And, and then a couple of years later, Mitch McConnell was caving on something. Uh, and I encourage people to send him balls, uh, gym balls, gym balls, uh, for, that were ultimately donated to schools. Um, <laughs> So many were sent there. I, there were something like, I, I want to say six or 7,000 of these balls. And you know, the, the giant gym balls that you used when we were in elementary school in gyms, so many of them were sent to Mitch McConnell. It clogged up the Capitol Hill uh, mail room and they, they wound up, McConnell wound up donating them to uh, elementary schools all throughout Kentucky. He wound up looking good at it. And you know, we did this, we did this a while back to Mike Dugan. Now Mike Dugan, who is the, the Senate leader in Georgia, we we wound up doing the same thing to him. We sent him a, a bunch of balls that he donated to Jim's in, in Carrollton, but message received by Mike Dugan on the issue. Occasionally, you have to do stuff like that to get their attention. I'm not above doing that, which reminds me, you should subscribe to the... This is how I pulled it off. So I got this email list 
uh, people who are political activists. And all I did is I emailed them and uh, about uh, sending balls to McConnell or Dugan or uh, rock salt to uh, Susan Collins and said, hey, I'll make it really easy for you. You you click this link on Amazon. You order this this bag of rock salt. Here's the address to send it to. Do it. It'll make a point. And so many people did it. It, it became a it became a news story. You should subscribe to this list because we need to do stuff like this in Georgia too, particularly whether it's to David Ralston or to others. Uh, good Lord, uh, we we may need to send spines to members of the state house to throw out David Ralston. But it's really easy. All you do you text the word Army A R M Y. Text it. Uh, text that word to three three seven seven seven. The the phone number is three three seven seven seven. And all you do is you you on you you pull out your your texting app. You you go to your texting app. I'm doing it right now. You, you start a new message. The number you send it to is 33777. And then the word that you send is ARMY, A-R-M-Y. And when you do that, what happens is you're going to get a message back and it says, okay, uh, send me your email address. And so I'm going to send Eric, E-R-I-C-K, at the resurgent, uh, misspelled resurgent, theresurgent.com. And when I do that, uh, then boom, it's automatically going to subscribe me to the list. And so when I need you to send uh, large gym balls to a member of the state legislature or or little plastic spines from Amazon or, or bags of coal or rock salt, uh, we can make it happen. You, too, can be an activist and, and do this. And, it, you know, it gets an impact. It does. And I'm really disappointed I'm not the one who thought about sending the the, the sheet cakes to members of Congress with let them eat acquittal. I, I think that would be a brilliant idea, but we're not going to do that. When we come back, we got to switch to Georgia gear. There's a huge fight in the Georgia legislature over the budget that you need to know about. I'll tell you about it when we come back. All right. Uh, you know, it is for things like this that we have our activist list. If you're just tuning in, uh, if you if you wow, hang on a second. Hang on. This just happened. Uh, you know, I try to be flexible in what I'm doing. This just happened on CNN. Uh, this is Joe Walsh, who lost. Uh, listen, listen to this. So you're going to try to help elect the Democratic nominee. Is that what you're saying? Any Democrat. John. Donald Trump is a dictator. He's a king. He literally is the greatest threat to this country right now. Any Democrat would be better than Trump in the White House. That's not an easy thing for me to say, but that tells you how serious this moment is. Which Democrat do you oh, think oh. you would be most likely to support? Which Democrat would you be most excited to support? I don't know that yet. I think it's an interesting field. I'm going to spend a lot of my time uh, trying to talk these next few months to Republicans and moderates and independents to encourage them that your only option, John, is a Democrat. It's not, it's not Trump. It's not the cult. But you just said that the Republicans that you were talking to didn't want to hear it from you. So what makes you think you could convince them? Because a lot of people have left the Republican Party. So many people have left the Republican Party. John, he's got his core a cult-like following that cannot be reached. But there are a lot of Republicans and moderates on the margins. There are a lot of independents who are undecided right now. Would you support Bernie Sanders? And I ask you, you know, you're a former Tea Party Republican, and you're saying to me that you would support Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren? I would rather have John Berman, a socialist in the White House, than a dictator, than a king, than Donald Trump. Wow, uh, this man is broken. This this is a broken individual. Wow, Donald Trump broke this man. I'm tweeting that Donald Trump broke this man.
Wow. Sad to see, but not unexpected. Grifters gonna grift. There you go. That's my summation of it. Now we need to pivot to Georgia news. I, I cannot believe that. You know, so there's there's a story there I need to share real quick. Um, there aren't a lot of people who get under my skin. Walsh kind of does, and, 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 it's, and it's for this reason. In 2015, I had a um, – I, I, I was the editor of Red State. You may remember this. We had a, a huge event in Atlanta, Georgia. And it was scheduled the same weekend as the Ames Straw Poll. And we wound up actually killing the Ames Straw Poll by doing our event in Atlanta because every single presidential candidate for the Republican side came to Georgia to be on stage with me uh, and talk. And Donald Trump was going to come, but he did the Megyn Kelly thing the night before. And I thought it would be a huge distraction to all the other candidates to have him there. I wound up uninviting him. Uh, and, and man, did I get death threats and all sorts of stuff for doing it. You know, one of the people who attacked me for uninviting Donald Trump from that event, Joe Walsh, and it got under my skin because Walsh at the time, uh, Walsh had been a Tea Party congressman whose candidacy I had supported, uh, and then he became a talk radio show host for Salem. Salem uh, Radio was at the time the parent company of Red State. And they had just bought it. And, and here comes he was not alone, multiple hosts uh, wanting to, to hump the president's leg. Then a candidate uh, it went after me for doing what I thought was the right thing to do. Now, you can disagree with me. I don't care. I would have done it again. It was the right thing to do. He should have never said what he said about Megyn Kelly. But Walsh became kind of the, this, I'm going to pound the drum for Donald Trump and hoo-ha sort of stuff. And then he just, he didn't, I don't know. Um, here's the thing. I know a number of people who ultimately wound up not supporting Donald Trump who lost their jobs in radio. They lost their jobs in radio and they blamed their listeners for losing their job in radio. I not only did not support Donald Trump in 2016, but I actually coined that. I, I shouldn't say I coined the term. It was actually my friend Aaron coined the term never Trump. And I wrote a huge piece in February of 2016 and said, I will never vote for this man. I don't care if he's the nominee and I don't care whether he's going to win or not. I'm not going to vote for him in 2016. Absolutely not. Uh, I do not like him. I think character counts. Now, the Democrats lost their minds between uh, 2017 and 2020, and I'm going to vote for Donald Trump in 2020. I told the man myself, he has called me more than once at home, and I have told him I am supporting him. I may be critical of him, but I'll support him. I was critical of George W. Bush as well, and I've supported him. But I didn't in 2016. And there are a number of other people I know who didn't support him, and they were on talk radio, and their their audiences went away. And they blamed their audiences, and they blamed Trump. And, and some of them are very, very, very bitter about the president. Do you know what? My ratings went up. I don't like to talk about ratings, um, but I, I have a, a, a very, a, 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 in the evenings, I do another radio show and it is very well regarded uh, and highly listened to. And it is only, it is only in Atlanta. And on, although it is only in Atlanta, it has a massive audience. Uh, we, we don't need to go into the metrics, but I'll tell you, uh, you cannot do evening drive time on the largest talk station in the country uh, if, if your ratings were bad. Mine went up. You know why mine went up, uh, even though a lot of my audience was mad as hell at me? I mean, y'all, we had people show up at our house to threaten us. We wound up moving our kids to a different school uh, because of the harassment they were getting at school, at a, at a Christian private school, no less. 
Uh, My wife was harassed in church. My children were yelled at and chased in a grocery store over me. It was, it was difficult. And I held, and I sucked my guns and my audience went up. Even people were mad at me and the audience went up. And and do you know why I never blamed my audience? I got that, that they, they wanted to beat Hillary Clinton. I hated Hillary Clinton too. I just couldn't bring myself to it, but I was honest with the audience. Here's why I'm not doing it. And yet when the president did something that I thought was good, I would say, you know what? This is good. He should do more of this. I like this. And when I thought he did something bad, I would say, this is bad. I, I don't like this. I had to eat crow in November of 2016 because I really didn't think he was going to win. He wound up winning, obviously. And I didn't think he would. I wouldn't have supported him even if I thought he was going to win. I was very clear about that. But I was also willing to give him credit where credit was due. And I wasn't going to blame my audience for wanting to beat Hillary Clinton. I wanted to beat her too. I just thought he was he was a terribly flawed person. And we were we were selling out values uh, that, that I thought really mattered. And clearly a uh, hundred some odd million people disagreed with me. But he was a, he he wound up winning and he wound up being a way better president than I thought. It, and I've given him way more credit than I've criticized. And I still get people who call me, you're never a tremor. I can't believe you're criticizing the president. It's like I'm voting for the guy. He calls me at home. He doesn't call you at home. But there were other people in radio and, and Walsh being one of them who had a history of saying bad things. Walsh has, has more than once used the N word. And, and there were people that their, their audience cratered as, as they turned on the president. And they couldn't be dispassionate about it. And they couldn't say, here's why I think this is bad. You guys know where my heart is. And this is why I think you should do it. No, they had to. Here's the thing. When you go red, when you start throwing red meat. And all you know how to do is throw red meat. You can't analyze the situation. You can't be dispassionate. You can't pull yourself out and say, here's what the data says. When all you can do is throw red meat and you're used to throwing red meat in one direction and the direction turns and all you can do is throw red meat in the other direction. You can't just say, hey, look, the direction of the country has changed. I'm out of line with the country. Here's why I think I'm right, even though everybody thinks I'm wrong and have a relationship with your audience. You know, uh, Rush Limbaugh is coming back on air today. Wherever you are, I I don't care. Rush Limbaugh comes back on the radio today at noon. He'll, He'll be back. Uh, and, and here's the thing, Rush has been a friend and a mentor and, and one of the many pieces of advice Rush Limbaugh told me over the years, it gave me, it gave me over the years is have a relationship with your audience so that you have room to disagree with them. And it's brilliant advice. I mean, you, you think I'm just a guy on the radio, but here, here's the thing about radio. When you're on radio, radio is the most personal media out there. Because you can't see me. Uh, if you're watching a live stream, you can see me on, on the video live stream on Facebook or wherever. But by and large, people who are listening on radio, they're listening to my voice. And it's my voice they recognize. Do you know when I go to restaurants, I sit and I face the crowd? Do you know why? It's the craziest damn thing. If I'm in a restaurant and my back is to everyone, everyone immediately knows it's me. But if I sit and I'm facing the crowd and I'm talking, people can hear my voice. They're like, that guy sounds familiar, but they can't place it when they see my face. When they don't see my face, they know immediately. That's how personal radio is. You can hear the tone of voice. You know, my job is not to save the world. My job is not to advance conservatism. My job is not to advance the Republican Party. My job is not to advance the, the, and glorify God. I mean, my job is to glorify God. I am a Christian. That's job number one there, the doctrine of vocation. But still, you get my point. Uh, my number one job is to keep you company. It's to inform you. It's to educate you. It's to bring you the news. It's to tell you what's true. It's to tell you what's false. 
but it's to entertain you. It's to keep you company. You're in your car. You're in your office. You're, you're, you're riding down the highway. You're in your classroom. You're, you're somewhere, and you just need a voice to tell you that, you know, I'm not crazy. Somebody on the radio agrees with me. Somebody who's going to make me laugh. Somebody's going to tell you the news. Someone who's going to make you And these people, they didn't understand it. They blew up Donald Trump, and they couldn't, and they couldn't be funny, and they couldn't be humorous, and, and they started to hate their audience. And they blame their audience. Never blame the audience. If you're in the minority, it's you. It's not them. And at least I, I listen, I, I got a wife and two kids who keep me humble. If nothing else, I, I, I am humble. I am overly white and fat. That keeps me humble. And, and some of these people just, they couldn't get it. And, and now they, they've lost their damn mind. Joe, Joe Walsh out there, I would rather have a socialist in the White House than a dictator. Do you know what a dictator does not do? A dictator does not stand for an election in which he cannot win or may not win. Donald Trump may not win in November. Is he still a dictator? If Donald Trump loses in November, is he still a dictator? If he's not, then definitionally he never was. And these people don't know. He has broken them. Donald Trump has broken these people. Broken them. All you had to do was have an ounce of humility and be willing to be agreeable in disagreement. And you couldn't do that. And you lost your audience, you lost your job, you ran for president in a chaotic, uh, chaotic campaign of grifting. You're, now you're out of your campaign, you're suspending your campaign, and it's all Donald Trump's fault. It's not your fault. There's no willingness to say, this is the same damn problem I have with the left. They're reading the story by McKay Coppins, and this is a very good story, by the way. Uh, and, and this whole story is on how Donald Trump is going to use lies and distortions and memes to get reelected. And there's an entire portion in there on how Democrats do it, too. And all the Democrats are smugly circulating the story around. Say, oh, oh, he's right. Donald Trump's a liar. We, we own the truth. The truth is progressive. No, it's not, you hacks. And there's not an ounce of humility or self-assessment or self-criticism or self-analysis to realize you're as bad as him. Oh, man, I hate politics these days. I love you guys. That's why I do this. I love you people. I love being here. I love being a guy on the radio who can actually tell you, you know, you're not crazy. You're not alone. You know, Jesus Christ is real. I believe in him. Uh, I got to work better on on making sure my politics conform to my faith and my faith to politics. I, I, I got to work on this. The left is in a culture war with us. They are out to get us. They want to shut you up. They want to make you feel like you're alone. By the way, Donald Trump is doing well today. He's had a great week. Next week, he's going to get on Twitter. He's going to screw it all up. I do want you to know that. But my goodness, some of these people, they're incapable of doing it. How do you get, you know, there are a lot of terrible radio shows. I, I, I'm, I've realized I, I've lost it. I should really go to commercial break right now before I get myself in trouble. There are a lot of bad people on radio, though. And they want to throw you red meat and they want to tell you what you want to hear. They don't know what they believe. They, they just want to throw you the red meat of what they think you believe. And then the wind, when the winds turn, turn they, they, they can't handle it. Have at least some philosophical underpinnings, people. Have some core beliefs. Get some principle. Grow a spine. Find Jesus. Instead of just sticking your finger in the wind, and then when the winds shift dramatically against you, you your, your, your boat gets tipped over because you can't respond. It's just, it's pathetic to see people like that. It is. It is. You should pray for these people. They, they need Jesus. Uh, it is it is unbelievable to see people just just crater like that, uh, saying, I would rather have a socialist than a dictator when he's not a dictator. All right. I'm Gary. Rescue me from myself. Welcome to the program, Gary. Oh, thank you. I want to thank you uh, for being such a strong fighter to stand up for people and for standing up for the president. And I, I know you're a fighter. I've, I used to read your articles in the telegra- uh, Telegraph. I'm a Telegraph junkie myself there. 
and um, always had the greatest respect for you. You and I should have already met. Like you, I've been a fighter. I was I was raised in Dodge County. I'm self-employed. I had red hair, so I was picked on as a little kid so bad it was unmerciful. You, you were in Dodge you County, know, and the mom didn't get you. Anything in life, bullies are cowards. You never get picked on by some of your sides. When I was a little first grader, I get picked on by ninth graders. But it taught me to stand up for what was right, and my dad was the same way. And I know some crooked. I, I, down through my life, my dad went show gave me a list when I was nine years old and said, "Son, here's the list of the re, of the results from tomorrow's election." Now I always loved politics; it was like one of my sports. So I walked off and I stopped and I thought, "Tomorrow's election." So I tried to walk back and said, "Dad, how could this be?" He said, "Well, these are says hide that you'll see it." Well, on Wednesday when the papers came out after election, they were dead right. I said, "How did this work?" He said, "The, the ballots are already counted now." Are they going to have an election? Yes. And, and they always have a person that's head of the elections that's like a 92-year-old lady. And they always count them upstairs in the judges' chambers. So it takes an hour to get her, bless her heart, to get her upstairs. In the meantime, they swap that sheriff's car with the one that's got the, the uh, actual ballots that's done counting in it and tote them inside. I'm telling you, it's incredible. Now, yeah, all right, uh, Gary, but, I got to uh, stop you there. I got to stop you because there are people thinking that you've lost your mind. I want to vouch for Gary. I was a lawyer for a number of years and represented more than one person from Dodge County, Georgia. And the stuff Gary is saying, I actually, so I, I actually represented a guy one time who got thrown in jail because he repossessed the, the car of the daughter of one of the prominent public officials in Dodge County. Gary, amen. thank you for, very amen. much for that phone call. <laughs> Dodge County politics but, is the craziest thing. I, I got to let you go there because I got a commercial break, but thank you very much for that call. Y'all, I, I could tell you stories all day long about mine. My, my, listen, I love you people in Eastman. I genuinely do. I come down there and, 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 and eat with my wife lo, likes to ri, ride her motorcycle uh, down, down to Eastman to, to eat at the sidetrack cafe. It is a wonderful, wonderful place. Uh, they changed the name of it. Somebody bought it. Uh, great, great restaurant down there. I love Eastman. I love Dodge County. I've spent a lot of time there, but Man, do I have some stories. Y'all think Gary is making it up? No, he is not making that up. Now, I promise we got to get into Georgia stuff. I Look, I see I see your tweets and I see your emails and y'all think Gary was making it up. He was not. Dodge County it is like a whole nother country down there. It is it is impressive. Uh, it is really, really, really impressive. Uh, I, man, I love um, that sidetrack. So if you those of you in the rest of the state. Uh, one of the places that you should go in Georgia, and I don't care where you live in Georgia, uh, there's a place down in South Georgia in Hawkinsville. In fact, I'm going to be there this weekend. Uh, M&T. It is a, a butcher shop, and it is the most incredible butcher shop you will ever find, and you can't imagine that something like that is in Hawkinsville. In fact, my wife and I have this whirlwind. i got to be in Birmingham tonight for an NPR event. And so then I'm going to drive back so that we can go to M&T tomorrow and then we can drive over to Butler uh, to Barrow Automotive. Now, if you've never heard of Barrow Automotive, it is the greatest gun store in the United States of America, if not the world. Uh, it is a Napa Auto Parts. I kid you. If you've never been there, y'all, it is the most incredible thing you will ever see. Uh, you go to this Napa Auto Parts store in Butler, Georgia, in the middle of nowhere. And in the back of the store is the most brilliant gun store you will ever see. And so we're going to go to M&T. And along the way to get there from where we live, we'll, we'll go through Eastman, I am sure. And my wife will want to eat at the Sidetrack Cafe. It is an all-you-can-eat buffet uh, in South Georgia. 
uh, in Eastman, right along the railroad tracks. And uh, what is it? Attaway? They, it was called Attaways, and now it's somebody else's in any event. Uh, it is worth the trip uh, from wherever you are in the state of Georgia. And if you've got a meet and three in your part of the state uh, that you think I should know about, shoot me an email, eric at theresurgent.com. Remember, it's E-R-I-C-K, because my wife is always looking for places to to ride her motorcycle and, and take her Harley owners group, a uh, band of motorcycle brothers to, to meet and threes around the state of Georgia. Somebody called in and recommended someplace near Rome, uh, somebody who was listening to WRGA up there, and they recommended some restaurant near Rome out in the middle of nowhere, and I think my wife and her motorcycle gang, I, I say that lovingly, uh, are going to head up there at some point soon uh, when, when the weather calms down. Um, but she loves to ride her motorcycle to Eastman and then we'll go to M and T and we'll load up on all sorts of meats. I mean, y'all, honestly, you go down there and, and you want ostrich. I'm pretty sure they have ostrich. Uh, you want gator. They got gator, uh, <laughs> gopher. I don't know about gopher. Uh, <laughs> those of you who watch Oh brother, where art thou? And then we'll go to Barrow and I'll find me a gun. Or, you know, so there's this great place. If you're driving South uh, and you get to Perry on 75, uh, you don't make it to 8L. 8L Outfitters is probably one of the, my favorite places. Uh, but you go to Perry, and uh, right near the fairgrounds, anybody in Georgia should know where the fairgrounds are in Perry. And there is, um, oh, what is it now? It's Broken Arrow. It used to be Brandon Outfitters. It is Broken Arrow Outfitters in Perry. I love that place. They got the big green eggs. They got kayaks. I got a kayak from there. Uh, I've got a gun from there. They have great clothing selection there. And my wife and I like to go to gun stores. I'm always in the mood to find new gun stores in the state of Georgia. Um, and, and, but Barrow is Barrow automotive in Butler, Georgia. I don't care where you live. If you hear my voice, you should one day make a pilgrimage to Barrow automotive in Butler, Georgia. It's insane. The amount of guns they have. When we come back, there's a huge fight in the Georgia legislature over the budget. And the speaker of the house is trying to divide conservatives on the issue of tax cuts. I should explain it to you when we come back. Okay, a word for a sponsor. You know the old joke, a CrossFitter, a vegan, and an atheist walk into a bar, and we all know because they wouldn't stop telling everybody. Well, I, I feel compelled to tell you, I, I have finally started going back to CrossFit to get in shape, and it's great. I've lost 15 pounds, uh, but... I don't go every day, and one of the things that you can do at home is what I do, and that is discover Echelon, which is actually a really cool multimedia platform and equipment. To get in shape in 2020, you don't have to join a gym. You don't have to pay a ton for overpriced fitness equipment. You don't have to pay a ton for a Peloton. The best way to get in shape is with Echelon. Go to echelonfit.com. Discover their EX1 connected fitness bikes. It offers high quality at home cycling experience at less than half the price of the Peloton. They've got other awesome equipment as well. They've got live and on demand studio classes. They've got one of those awesome mirrors. They've got, you can do it on TV. It's just, it's great. Go to echelonfit.com slash Eric. Learn about their limited time, free Apple iPad, and complete details of this exclusive offer. Echelon, it's your time. And again, don't pay a ton for a Peloton. Go to Echelon. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com slash Eric. Echelonfit.com slash Eric. On the days when I'm not in the gym, I'm with Echelon, and it works. I want you people to know I got a very nice complimentary email from a listener and I forwarded it to my producer who is insulting me as a result because it made me feel good and he hates it when that happens. <laughs> Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. Hang on a second. I had to mute my y'all. I got to get over this congestion. It sucks. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we're all in this together now. It is the Eric Erickson show. 
It is Eric Erickson. This is my voice. I am here. Uh, the phone number is 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425 is the phone number. Now, I got to spend time on Georgia stuff. I can see the, the the people who are listening online, where they're coming from, and I got to get a better internet connection in my house for you people watching the live stream. It, it's pathetic. But nonetheless, um, I got to spend time on Georgia stuff because there's some Georgia news that's happening, and you need to understand it. There is a civil war breaking out of the Republican Party, uh, and I'm not talking about the Leffler-Collins uh, race. In fact, the president yesterday sang Kelly Leffler's praises and Doug Collins' praises and said he's going to work out a deal that they'll both like. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Leffler people think it means Collins is going to get an appointment. The Collins people think it means Leffler is going to get an appointment. What I suspect will happen is that the president will come up with a lifetime appointment somewhere, possibly for Collins, whose background is as a lawyer, and then will say either take this or I'm take take this, and then I'm going to endorse Kelly Loeffler. Um, that, that's my guess. I don't know. Um, it's a wild card guess. He may come up with something for Leffler, but he, if he comes up with something for Leffler, he's got to come up with something that would last, uh, beyond January of 2020. Should he lose? Because I mean, she wants to be in this for the long haul. Uh, and I'm not saying the president's going to lose. I'm just saying he's got to do something. So, but that's not the civil war I'm talking about. We, you need to understand the lay of the land in Georgia. There are a lot of Republicans in Georgia who are sympathetic to the Democrats. They are uh, fiscally conservative. Uh, they're they're populist there, but they're they're socially liberal. They are corporatists, is what they are. That that's the best way to think of them. And and honestly, that is probably the great divide in the Republican Party right now. Is is. There are conservatives and there are populists and there are corporatists within the Republican Party. Uh, there are people that believe as as long as the Fortune 500 is doing well, then the country is doing well. And that's not necessarily so. Take Boeing, for example. Boeing is a Fortune 500 company that is not doing well and Boeing is not doing well because Boeing spent so long resting on its laurels, putting the the accountants and bean counters in charge. They fell behind on technology, but no one noticed it because Boeing had sweetheart deals with the federal government for the Export-Import Bank and other issues where Boeing didn't have to really compete. And more and more we see that with Fortune 500 companies in this country where they spend their money on lobbyists to go to Washington to put themselves at a competitive advantage over, over those who might pick them off uh, and never actually innovate. Apple is one of the very few companies in this country that actually innovates its way into success as opposed to protecting itself into success. Microsoft has rebounded in that direction. For the longest time, Microsoft rested on its monopoly. Microsoft can no longer rest on its monopoly and has had to innovate deeply. I mean, take the Xbox, for example. The new Xbox is coming out. I've got an Xbox. A lot of my friends have PlayStations. I've got an Xbox. I, I love Halo. Um, and now my kid plays Halo and Xbox has innovated the heck out of out of the Xbox and it has helped revitalize them. Now they've come up with new ways. But so many companies uh, now rely on sweetheart deals with the government and kickbacks and uh, corporate tax loopholes. And these corporatists within the Republican Party think that's all well and good. As long as we keep these companies good, we're good. David Ralston is one of those. What the Fortune 500 wants, David Ralston tries to give them. And Ralston, the Speaker of the Georgia House, is increasingly at odds with the Republican Party on a host of issues, including social conservative issues. For example, Marty Harbin is the um, he is a conservative member of the state Senate, and he and a number of state senators have introduced legislation to protect faith-based adoption agencies. Now, 
I don't want to go off on a huge, I've been going off on tangents all morning and I apologize, uh, my, my lack of focus, but, but these are all things I've been building up and I've been distracted by, but let me, let me just very briefly on this one. Most states, not every state, but most states, particularly most every state in the South now, has laws that protect, have laws that protect faith-based adoption agencies, Jewish, Muslim, Catholic, and Protestant adoption agencies. Now, why? Well, there are adoption agencies that will only adopt to adopt kids within families of their faith. Yes, there are Muslim adoption agencies, and they will they specialize in adopting into Muslim households. If you as a Christian show up at the, this Muslim adoption agency and you're not Muslim, they're not going to work with you. Now, some of you are horrified by that. Oh, Sharia law, Sharia law. I can hear the conspiracy theorists now. Sharia law. You know, we have a First Amendment in this country, and you're allowed free exercise of your religion. You don't have to be Muslim, but you shouldn't deny them their free exercise. Because if you deny them their free exercise, they're going to want to deny you your free exercise. And in this country, it's either all or nothing. You can't deny them their free exercise and expect your free exercise. It doesn't work that way. I say that because there are Catholic adoption agencies in this country, vastly more. For every one Muslim adoption agency in this country, there are a hundred Catholic adoption agencies and Protestant adoption agencies on top of that. I mean, you're, you're, you're seriously talking over a hundred to one. Should we shut them all down because you're horrified that there may be a Muslim adoption agency? No, of course, that, that, that's crazy talk. But there are. There, there are there are faith-based adoption agencies in this country. There are Protestant ones. There, there's one down the street for me that I, that I know and, and love and, and uh, think, think highly of. And they only adopt into heterosexual Christian households. Now, why? Because l- let's, let's deal with the, the Christian ones. Let's deal with the Catholic and Protestant ones. They believe you have a soul. They believe there's an eternity. And they believe there's a heaven and they believe there's a hell. And they believe that you can't just serve the body, you must also serve the soul. And they don't want to send a child into a family that would ensure, perhaps, without some intervention of the the Holy Spirit in a dramatic way, that that child is never going to know Jesus, is never going to have the opportunity to have a relationship, a personal relationship, with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, whether you are a Christian or an atheist, it does not matter. A Christian believes Jesus is the only path to salvation. He is your Lord and Savior, and every knee shall bow, even if you don't believe he exists. When he comes back, you will be bowing to him. They believe that philosophically, fundamentally, theologically, it's in their Bible. Should they be punished for that belief or have to give it up? That is a question being advanced by the alphabet gang, the LGBTQIAATP whatever group, the alphabet gang. And in New England, in many increasingly secular states in New England and in California, faith-based adoption agencies are going out of business. They're going out of business because these states are telling them that you have to adopt to anyone. If a single person comes in, if a transgender person comes in, if a gay person comes in, if an atheist comes in, if a pantheist comes in, if an animist comes in, if a Zoroastrian comes in, you got to you gotta adopt to them, even if based on your religious convictions, you think it increases the odds of the child burning in hellfire for eternity, you've got to adopt to that person or you're a hateful bigot who must be put out of business. And a lot of states have responded to this hostility from the atheist crowd and and the the alphabet gang 
by protecting faith-based adoption agencies and saying they have a right to exist, they have a right to uh, ensure adoption into faith-based households. You don't have to use them. Use a different adoption agency. Now, we have real-world data on this now, by the way. As Catholic and Protestant adoption agencies in California and New England have been closing, do you know what's happening? Well, no. No, no there are not new adoption agencies bringing up. There, there are actually less adoption agencies uh, in which children can be adopted. And as a result of this, uh, it becomes harder to adopt kids. Then the costs of adopting goes up and the paperwork burden goes up and the staffing burdens go up and the screw-ups go up. So a number of states, again, Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, I believe Florida, South Carolina, Tennessee, basically every state around Georgia and and a bunch of others have now passed laws that say faith-based adoption agencies are allowed to exist and are allowed to to, uh, adhere to their religious convictions in the treatment of adoption. Now, I honestly do not care if a gay couple wants to adopt. Uh, It is better, I think, for a child to wind up in a two-parent household, even if they're of the same sex, than it is for a child to to be be pushed away into an orphanage somewhere where they get 18 years old and they're behind and everything. I would much rather a loving gay couple adopt a child than have a a child stuck in in an orphanage somewhere. And you can disagree with me on that, and I've got friends who do and hate when I say it uh, because they think somehow I'm a bad Christian by saying that, but I'm sorry. I know the rates of rates of abuse and and, and neglect and, and health and education and everything else by a kid left in an orphanage uh, until they turn of age. And I would rather them be placed in a two parent loving household than be stuck there, even if that two parent uh, household happens to be two dudes or two women. I, I don't care. But I am a Christian, and I believe that the best way to raise a child is in a two parent heterosexual nuclear household where they go to church on Sunday as best they can. And so I would hate to see these adoption agencies targeted. And there are some cities in Georgia that are beginning to try to target faith-based adoption agencies. Uh, Remember, Atlanta fired its fire chief for writing a Bible study that suggested homosexuality is a sin, despite actually all he did was quote the Bible. He quoted 1 Corinthians 5, I believe. Well, the Speaker of the House hates the idea of protecting faith-based adoption agencies here in Georgia. He would rather they all be shut down uh, then have them exist and, and help kids because corporate America hates them. Remember the other day I told you in, down in Florida they got a scholarship program uh, that allows poor kids to go to schools of their choice. Uh, the scholarship program has shown that every kid who uses one of these scholarships outperforms kids, similarly situated kids who don't use the program. There is plenty of data that the program is successful in getting kids from bad neighborhoods and poor circumstances educated. And yet Wells Fargo and Fifth Third Bank have decided to stop supporting the scholarship program that they've long supported because horror of horrors, there are Christian schools, 83 of them out of a thousand. And those 83 Christian schools say that if you come to our school, you need to actually be a professing Christian. And that means you ascribe to biblical sexual ethics, among other things. And so they're punishing these kids because these kids may grow up to be Christian. They're punishing poor kids for getting an education. And that essentially is the position that the Speaker of the House of Georgia takes. Now, I don't mean to make this about the Speaker of the House, but there's an issue coming. The Speaker of the House is one of the corporatist Republicans. He was a more of a Brian uh, Casey 
Cagle guy than a Brian Kemp guy. And, and I don't want to drag Case Cagle into this. It's just he was an establishment guy, more of a corporatist guy as well on the Republican side. Uh, Brian Kemp is more of a conservative populist. If you see, saw his ads, you you got that. Uh, ironically, I think Brian Kemp is personally probably more moderate than I am on a lot of issues, but he, he understands politically uh, where he needs to be. And he's a great governor. Moderate or not, Brian Kemp is an awesome guy. He, in When he makes a promise, he tries to keep a promise. And Brian Kemp has promised uh, that that he would protect people of faith in the state, and he has promised that he would give teachers a pay raise, among other things. Well, the speaker doesn't want to give teachers a pay raise, and he doesn't like the fact that Republicans are so united around Brian Kemp, and he doesn't like the fact that the Republicans in the state are so united around Brian Kemp on these issues, because the more Republicans unite around Brian Kemp, the more likely they are to turn on the speaker. And the way that David Ralston has been able to maintain his power is by dividing the Republicans in the state. So as the adoption reform issue and faith-based protection comes up, he's sought to divide Republicans on this between those who say do it and those who say, oh, we're going to lose the election if we do this because, you know, Metro Atlanta is going to hate us for doing this. The problem is the fetal heartbeat legislation, though. See, Ralston knew he had to push the fetal heartbeat legislation. He may not have wanted to do it, but he had to do it for politics. And so he did it despite thinking, you know, this could kill us at the ballot. But but there was a year, and now it turns out that no one actually went to the poll. No one's going to go to the polls in November and punish Republicans for passing the fetal heartbeat legislation. And so there are a lot of Republicans who can say, hey, look at that. We can do this faith-based adoption agency bill, and no one's going to punish us for that either. Well, Ralston doesn't like the bill. The Chamber of Commerce doesn't like the bill. Ralston and the Chamber of Commerce are are, uh, in a symbiotic relationship there. They prop him up. He props them up. He's a corporatist. He also doesn't like the idea of Brian Kemp unifying the Republicans around things like teacher pay raises. Not that he's opposed to teacher pay raises per se, but again, it helps the governor keep his promises. And the more the governor's promises are kept, the better the governor does. And the more Republicans unite around the governor, the more likely they are to turn on David Ralston. He's got to divide the Republicans to stay in power. Remember, Ralston just sparked this Republican civil war by trying to create a primary to to benefit Doug Collins uh, as a rebuke to the governor. And how did he do it? He aligned with the Democrats. Now that issue, uh, House Bill what, what, House Bill Seven Five Seven, it's dead thanks to you guys. Uh, I was told behind closed doors I was referred to as a, as a uh, <laughs> I can't even say those words on radio. Let's just say the letters G D M F uh, on the radio uh, were, were yelled at by someone, and I don't know who, but a lobbyist happened to be walking past a closed door and heard those words being uttered uh, about me and about you. Ralston depends on your division. His survival depends on dividing conservatives and Republicans. And so he is out to scuttle the governor's budget. He's out to scuttle faith-based adoption reform. He is out to scuttle uh, the governor's uh, pay raise for teachers. And he's doing it as a corporate Republican would do by saying that we should give people tax cuts instead of giving teachers pay raises. And he's made it an either-or scenario. He doesn't want to give teachers pay raises and cut taxes because he knows budgetarily that would be not a good idea. So what the legislature is now having to do is go home. And that's not a bad thing. When the governor, when the legislature goes home, your freedoms are protected. But they're having to go home because they got to come up with new budget ideas. They got to come up with a with a way to fix the budget, and that's problematic for the speaker because the governor has a lot of allies now in the House of Representatives. And I gotta tell you, 
Uh, the speaker probably can work on this and the speaker can probably be successful at this. And the question you're going to have to ask yourself is, are you with the speaker who routinely throws conservatives under the bus or are you with the governor who has routinely kept his promises to you? And then you need to text the word army to 33777 because this is going to become a fight and battle lines are being drawn. And frankly, I'm on the governor's side against the speaker. All the speaker has ever done is thrown conservatives under the bus to protect Hollywood and corporate interests that could care, couldn't care less about you, people of faith, and conservatives. All right, welcome back. Oh, okay, there's more Georgia news, including my buddy Wes Cantrell in the state house actually has a legislation he wants to, to get rid of the time change, which, hallelujah, I agree. Let's just go to daylight saving time and stay that way. When we get to the summer, have darker mornings uh, and brighter evenings. I, I'm, I've noticed, you know, so I, I do an evening show from four to six and you get in that period between the end of November and the middle of January and, and I get off and it's pitch black outside and now I can actually get off and there are 30, 45 more minutes of sunshine and it's going to keep stretching out. I love that. Uh, I'm okay with a dark morning. Uh, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, nighttime. It's the color of my soul. <laughs> Uh, randomly, randomly, randomly. There's a story in Scientific American Day. It is very clickbaity, uh, I admit. Uh, some friends of mine uh, in an email list, uh, we're, we've been talking about it. And it actually is very interesting, and I had no idea. Did you know um, that there is no agreed-upon explanation for why planes fly. Uh, Charlie, uh, yeah, listen to this one because this will fascinate you. Um, there actually is no agreed upon explanation on why planes fly. Everyone understands uh, the Bernoulli's principle of lift, that, that air over a, a foil flows faster than, than underneath, uh, and that creates pressure and that lift, and that's generally accepted. Uh, except it doesn't explain why a plane can fly upside down. And yet a plane can fly upside down and it, 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 it all sorts of other things. Well, the, the, the competing explanation is of course, Newton's third law. Uh, the wings downward push results in the equal and opposite push back upward. Newton's account of lift applies to the wings of any shape. Uh, and, and so you got an equal and opposite push. And, and so the wing, you got the, the airflow over it and that lessens pressure and then you've got the underneath the wing is pushing down the air and so the plane takes off but there's a problem there's a there's an agreed upon vacuum that forms above a wing and that causes the the lessen pressure no one can explain any of this and it's it's actually a really fascinating thing that we can observe the phenomenon we we know it is true and yet we can't really under uh, explain the science behind it uh, very much like gravity. We know gravity is real. We know how it works, but we can't really explain the thing that causes gravity to work. How much of our world is ordered around things that we can't fully explain, and yet people want to dismiss the existence of a god? <laughs> uh, welcome. <clears throat> it is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. So randomly, I've got other news. Believe it or not, I got other news. We, we, we got to get to other news, but I, story time. Um, I, I was my, my my daughter just texted. She is at school sick, begging me to come get her. And I'm like, I'm on radio. I got this thing called a job. I can't come. Uh, the, my family is still. I've, I've been doing this show since the middle of August, and and we're we're still at the struggle of you know I I I can't actually stop and and come do something because there's this thing called radio, and I'm in the middle of it, <laughs> and. Uh, texting my wife to see if she can take care of it, which reminded me one time I made this terrible mistake. It, it really was a, a terrible mistake. Uh, <laughs> I was on radio and 
I was getting a text message from a friend who kept text messaging me while I was on radio, who was listening to the show. Now, my mom does this sometimes, and I love my mom, so I give my mom a pass. I have several friends of mine who do this as well, and they text me in real time on the show. It's one reason I've had to start turning off text messaging on the show, because I know it distracts me. I tend to be a multitasker. And, and so somebody texts me in the middle of the show and I'm like, Oh, let me see what this person's saying while I'm continuing to talk. And then my mind wanders off and you can tell, and it drives Charlie insane. Uh, when I do this, you should see the text messages he sends me when I do this. But in any event, um, so this one time, uh, this friend of mine is doing it and I finally say, Hey, would somebody text, uh, so-and-so and <laughs> name on radio, hey, tell him I'm on radio. I can't answer his text messages. And Oh my Lord, I nearly lost a friend over that. I had to call and apologize to him so many. I didn't realize that he was, well, I should have given his job, realized he was that connected. Um, but that that many people who knew the two of us listened to my show and they all flooded him with text messages. Uh, so I'm not started to come on the radio and say, would somebody uh, text my wife? But uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I took care of it myself. Um, it, it, it could be, they can ruin relationships. Uh, a lot of people listen. So in any event, uh, don't, don't ever do that. But yeah, I just people who want to, I, I am way too accessible to you people. That's the problem in, and so people, I actually do have friends and I love them all very dearly and they're listening right now and they know I mean it uh, humorously and lovingly, uh, family members included, who listen and text me in real time while I am on the show with their thoughts as uh, if they've got, and they do have special access to me. They have my cell phone number. This is why Charlie uh, and, and my assistant Candace are begging me to change my cell phone number and not give it to anyone. And, you know, I've actually got a buddy of mine uh, who is, you would all know him. He is, is uh, super famous and he has two cell phones and I'm thinking maybe I should do this. He has two cell phones and he's got one cell phone that he keeps on him at all times and it is a super private number. And then he has a second cell phone. And that is the number that everybody has generally. And, and at night, he doesn't answer that phone at, during the day. And at night, he goes home and he says, oh, all these people have text messaged me. And he responds to them. There are times a day when he does it. And he's actually, he's got two iPhones. One is white and one is black. And that's what he does. Uh, his white iPhone is the iPhone that everybody has. And the black one is his one that he keeps on him at all times. He actually keeps both of them. Typically, he has an assistant that travels with him because he's that sort of person. Um, uh, Hollywood, not 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 politics. And uh, so he, he has one that every Everybody has, and then he's got his super private one that very few people have, and and I've always I always thought it was so cool. Um, so he's got a business card, and there's no name. And I'm gonna do this. I am gonna do this. He's got a business card, and all the business card is is a phone number. That's it. It is a a quality. I mean, premium paper, uh, super thick, embossed, and it's just it's his phone number. And that's it. Uh, and, and if you want his phone number, there you go. And I'm really thinking I need to start doing that. Uh, and, but the phone number that's on the card is, is the phone number that is his phone and he can pull you out the white iPhone and show you, this is my phone, call this number. That's his phone. But he doesn't actually look at that phone except a couple of times a day. He uses the other one. And I just think that is a genius way to manage people, uh, in friendships and stuff, but I'm, I'm not going to actually, <laughs> I'm not actually going to do anything like that right now. I'm going to move on to other news of the day because that's what I've been promising you people. I need to spend a moment with the uh, coronavirus situation because 
Our media in this country has long had a love affair with China. I, I want to tell you a, a story. It is story time again. I was on the I was on the Acela. Have you ever ta- heard people? Uh, Russia has mentioned the Acela corridor. I've been on the Acela corridor. When I'm on the Acela corridor, that is the high speed Amtrak train. And hang on a second, I got to do this properly for those of you on, on watching the live stream. The high speed by high speed, it, it's not even half the speed of the high speed trains in in Europe, and it's nice. Americans have love affairs with trains. Uh, people in policy positions love trains. You know they want to build a, a high speed railway between Atlanta and Charlotte. And it's actually not a bad idea when you look at the cost of this train that they want to build from Atlanta to Charlotte. Ironically, they want to build a unit. Okay, this is this is a random tangent. So Amtrak wants to build a train from Atlanta to Charlotte. Uh, they want it to be a high-speed rail line, and they've come up with three proposals. The one proposal is they use existing Norfolk Southern track or CSX track, the other is they build a, a line themselves, a, a high-speed line themselves. And the third is they essentially use interstate right-of-way and combined or train tracks in some areas and otherwise interstate railway, and they build a line that goes up 85. Ironically, the one that they want to do is the one where they build a brand-new line that is not on the existing Amtrak line. And that would be the medium priced option. The cheap option is the one that they already have essentially, which is the, the Amtrak line between Atlanta and Charlotte existing. Uh, and, and there wouldn't be much modification they would need to do. It wouldn't cost a lot to do this. Uh, the one that they don't want, but is the one that a lot of policymakers want is they just run a line up the interstate, uh, in the existing right of way. And they say, oh, that would cost too much money. But this high speed rail line on a custom track that they would build uh, a brand new land that they would purchase, uh, that, that, that one just, it's the most reasonable option. They also want to do this to Nashville. And honestly, I don't think it's a terrible idea, except for the fact that I can get from my house in Macon, Georgia to Nashville in four and a half, five hours from Atlanta. I can get from Atlanta to Nashville in about four hours. And this train would take six and a half to seven hours to get from Atlanta to Nashville. And there are people who are listening right now who say, well, this, I mean, what about the poor people and and whatnot and the stops along the way? And that's why it takes so long. There are bus services for 25 bucks. You can take a bus from Atlanta to Nashville that takes less than five and a half hours to go. And it makes all the stops the Amtrak train would make. And it has good Wi-Fi and it actually has a bathroom on the bus. And yet Amtrak thinks that there needs to be a train from Atlanta to Nashville that makes all the stops the bus services currently have and takes twice as long as the bus. It, it makes no sense, but that that's Amtrak. It's it, it, randomly bizarre stuff. So I was on the Acela from New York to Washington. It is the one Amtrak high-speed line. It is the only profitable Amtrak line in the country, and it is the one that all of the media elite use. They used to use the shuttle between New York and D.C., but after 9-11, the shuttle started being way more inefficient, so they used the Amtrak line, and that, that's fine. No big deal. But I was sitting up there one day with, with Tom Friedman of the New York Times, and I will never forget, you know, this is, I've mentioned the reason I don't like Rick Santorum is I saw Rick Santorum one time with people who didn't, didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, service industry people at a hotel, and he was just lighting them on fire. And I thought it was very rude and I've heard similar subjects. I saw Tom Friedman and he was sitting diagonally from me and my publicist. I was on a book tour 
and Friedman just savaged the guy who was who was managing the car. The the guy he either didn't pick something up or or he he took something away too quick. I I can't remember the details now, but he just savaged the guy. And was talking about how inefficient it was and on and on and on and, and threw China in there, if I recall right. And, and Tom Friedman has a love affair with China. And I just thought it was very funny. He was conforming to stereotype. Here's a man who who lives a, a life of wealth and privilege in large part because he married into wealth and privilege, who has a column in the New York Times, who who is a noted author who really doesn't actually tell you anything. He uses big words to make himself sound smart, but he's not all that smart. And it's it's was remarkable to me of how awful and uh, he was treating this guy. And Tom Friedman, of course, has this love affair with China. And he writes all the time about how China can do things that we can't do. And ultimately what it comes down to, and it, it is a Tom Friedman fixation that the left shares with China, that they are a planned authoritarian society. And interestingly enough, they attack Donald Trump for being a, a dictator, and yet they want a dictator. They want a socialist. They, they want a, a, a person who, uh, it, it's, who can snap their fingers and get things done. That person is called a tyrant. They want that. They just don't want it to be Donald Trump. They have this fixation with China being able to do these things with the planned economy. China can build a high-speed rail from Tibet to Shanghai, and they can build the whole rail in 45 days. Never mind. Pay no attention to the fact that it's falling apart, and, and it's all propaganda. China can can round up people. You know what they're doing in Wuhan right now? In Wuhan, China, where the Wuhan flu is, they are literally conducting door-to-door searches. They are going house by house to find anyone who has fever. And they are rounding them up and throwing them in. They're not calling them concentration camps, but that's essentially it. They are putting them in in concentration camps. Anyone who has a fever, they are rounding them up and throwing them away. And people are hiding relatives. And we're seeing the Chinese society right now collapse. You know, I mentioned yesterday Tencent, which is your kids would be familiar with Tencent because they make video games, but it's, it's a Chinese conglomerate, much like time Warner. Uh, they run a new service in China and they put up, have now put up twice uh, data that shows tens of thousands of people have died from the coronavirus, And then they've retracted it to say, Oh no, only 600 people have died. Listen, never believe the Chinese. The Chinese are communists and communists are liars. And the fact that you have a Chinese news service that has now, actually, I'm seeing this now, three times now, Tencent has put up numbers showing now over 30,000 people have died from the coronavirus. Yesterday, it was was 20,000 people. Today, they've done it again, 30,000 people, and then the number goes away. And they put up the state number, which is 600 some odd people. 658 people have died now from the coronavirus. Um, they, they showed that over a million people had been infected or no, a couple hundred thousand people have been infected. And now they scale that back as well. And notice that the American media that has had this love affair with China is trying not to make eye contact with the problem. The problem is that it is a communist regime and the American media may flirt with China and its innovation and its technology and on and on and on and on. But at the end of the day, the Chinese are run by an evil regime. And I mean evil as in the word evil. It is an evil regime. It is a regime that does not respect life, that does not respect God, that does not respect its people, uh, that is a totalitarian, despotic, lying regime. 
And in a totalitarian, despotic, lying, evil regime, more people are interested in protecting themselves than actually doing what's right. And so when the virus broke out and a doctor started warning them, this doctor, by the way, has died. What happened? They rounded up the doctor and took him away, made him disappear. They are now rounding up the people going house by house in Wuhan to throw people in concentration camps who may be sick, and they claim they're going to get needed medical services. And the only people who believe them on this are the American media. Everyone knows these people are going to their death, probably, because they're trying to eradicate the virus. And the New York Times has a huge story. And by the way, for all of the New York Times faults, and the New York Times has many, including a love affair with China on its editorial page. Its actual reporting out of Wuhan is some of the best in the world. I keep a subscription to the New York Times because when you can wade through the nonsense and the BS, you actually get some quality reporting in the New York Times. Believe it or not, there are actually some good stories in the New York Times. And their coverage in China about the Wuhan virus is actually a phenomenal story. Uh, and it is a deeply disturbing story that the leader of China has largely forced uh, the people out of China has largely um, been pushed out of the spotlight. And the, the, the people in China are, are deeply disturbed by what's happening. And the Chinese have largely cut off new service in China. They sent the deputy leader of China, who is a woman whose name I can't remember now. I was trying to find the story and, and I, I can't now uh, find it. But they sent her there and essentially said that uh, you're either going to go to these concentration camps that they're not causing concent calling concentration camps or else you will essentially um, die on the ash heap of history. These are not good people. And this virus shows that this regime that so many in America on the left have invested in saying is better than us. Look at the NBA players. Remember the NBA players that they, they, they want to be woke here, but they won't dare question China because they want Chinese money. You have all of these situations now uh, that are showing that this regime is not what it's cracked up to be. How many of you have heard in the last few years uh, that, that China is going to reign supreme, that China is going to be dominant? What did I tell you yesterday? Events, dear boy, events, events change things. Never bet on a communist regime surpassing a capitalist regime. And yet we have a situation where so many people on the left, so many Democrats, and even so many Republican elite have decided that this is going to be the, the age of China. This is going to be the century of China. This is the century that China surpasses us economically, militarily, all these things. Everybody's betting on China. Here comes a virus from the heart of China that this country cannot contain, and its solution is to round up its people and put them in concentration camps and kill them. That is not a sustainable, stable regime. And yet so many of our intellectual elite in this country have envious look on china enviously why because ultimately at the end of the day they hate the freedoms of this country and they hate this country and they don't like you and they drip with disdain for you you're an uneducated hick and a rube compared to the the elite in china who can snap their finger and build a high-speed rail that's good for the environment they, they can snap their finger in china and get anything done do you know that the inefficiencies of our system the the breakdown in our government the squabbling in congress the difficulty of getting things passed those are features, not bugs. And we are taught as an American people 
through our civics classes and through our media and through our elite that the inability to get things done in Washington is bad. No, the inability to get things done in Washington keeps you free and safe from government. And that is a feature, not a bug that our founders knew. And we should go back to remembering that the difficulty of impeaching the president, the difficulty of getting a law passed, the difficulty of getting something sustained in court, that is a freedom, that is a feature. It is not a bug. And we should applaud our inefficient system that embarrasses so many elite in this country because it is way better than having a dictatorial authoritarian regime in China that can round up its people and throw them in a concentration camp because the people are too scared of the government to stand up and do what's right. They'd rather protect themselves and let people die in the streets instead of speaking up and telling the truth. So I got to leave from here and drive to Birmingham to do an event tonight uh, with NPR and PBS. You know, I I got asked last year to do this event, and it actually is a, an honor, and it's, it's a big deal to do, uh, where NPR wants to take someone who is known to be a, a partisan on the right and sit them down with someone who is a partisan on the left and and dare them to have a civil conversation about American society. I actually think it's a great idea and I'm excited to do it. Uh, I like doing these things. I, I, I find it, I find it problematic in our country that we spend a lot of time now uh, so focused on our own side of the political spectrum that we don't actually try to even understand the left. I, I've, I've been beaten up now um, by more people on the right for daring to go on uh, real time with Bill Maher on HBO two weeks ago uh, than from people on the left who are horrified by what I said. I, I defended the president, said I was voting for the president. And it, it's, it is, it's fascinating to me to see conservatives get outraged that I would dare do that. Do you know why I went to CNN for three years? Because Rush Limbaugh said that I should. He's coming up next on a lot of these stations, and I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to promote that because he's a friend, and I'm glad he's back on radio today. But it was Rush Limbaugh who, who suggested to me when I, I got an offer from Fox and from CNN, he said, go to CNN, be a missionary, uh, explain your views to the other side. There should be nothing wrong with that, and increasingly we live in an age where neither side wants to have outreach with the other side and break bread with the other side. We should be doing more of that. It is okay to vehemently disagree in politics. And by the way, I've got to say— I do actually think it's a bigger problem on the left, and a number of my progressive friends actually are willing to admit that on the left, there is far more intolerance for encountering people on the right. And, you know, when you think about it, I live in Macon, Georgia, and I've got just up the street from me someone who has a Barack Obama sticker still on their car. And I know them and I like them and we get along well. We disagree on politics. That Man, they, they hate that I'm on the radio in Macon now. And yet... They're a perfectly fine person. Their family is great, uh, good people. Uh, and and if I living in Macon, Georgia, as a conservative in, in a in a red part of the, the state, I still am more likely to encounter a progressive than a progressive living in San Francisco is is able to encounter a conservative. And so conservatives still tend to be more tolerant of the left than the left is of the right. Uh, and all of us, I think, need to remember that there are people on the other side as well. And uh, so I'm happy to go have this conversation in Birmingham tonight. I will see you guys on Monday where there will be much to talk about, I'm sure.